ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. of my conversation with former Pelicans assistant, Jamel McMillan. Enjoy. So the individual, I would say maybe not talent, individual skill sets. Like there's more ball handling, there's more creativity in those types of things. And certainly the athleticism is at the highest it's ever been. But yeah, I I don't know if it's talent. I don't know if these guys are more talented. Right, because guys are... I mean, they're making sidestep threes like Jason Tatum. I mean, now I'm trying to figure out if a guy can just hit a spot shot because everything is a step back or a Euro or all this creative stuff that they've come up with, which is, which is really cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome skill set wise, but it doesn't equal IQ. How to get to that shot or how to get the next guy the shot. And then offenses get stagnant and they're killing the coach because he's standing over there and and little do they know the coach has put together this whole like elaborate conceptual whatever. And these guys, you know, it's just, it's not going to translate to people who don't know what they're looking at or listening to if they're listening for the most part, because attention spans these days are like an ant. I mean, we can't meetings have gotten shorter everything practice has gotten shorter due to load management you know we can't be in film sessions a super long amount of time and i'm like yeah because they didn't go to school and they have to sit in class like majority of people and study or sit down and focus on anything longer than 15 20 minutes i asked like i asked our guys that last i said when is the last time these guys have sat down and focused on something for an hour. No distractions, no phone, no computer, or if they're on the computer, just sat down and read and studied something or for a, one hour. It, video games they've played for multiple hours, I'm sure. But to actually have an assignment or to have some sort of like foundational structure that they've got to memorize which it plays and then go and find an opponent to where they they understand that oh he doesn't slide well moving going to his left you know he's having knee issues on his left leg maybe i should go right stuff like that those days are over those are the rajon rondo days he does stuff like that those guys are dying out they're dying out there may be 12 of them left in the league yeah. So like studying and IQ is different. Talent, sure. Individual skill set, sure. But the IQ, like you're saying, movement without the ball, how to screen. That's another A one. A good That's- screen is <laughs> <laughs> how to screen. And it's guys it's- are looking for it. One of the things like when I watch Jax, Jax has never held his screen for a full second. As soon as he makes contact, he's already slipping toward trying to go to the rim. To that point, 
last year it was get out so it was more the idea of the screen so you know like he runs up the guy's anticipating the screen he slips out either one of two things gonna happen you have a step advantage if you're the ball handler and it was because he just we needed him to get out get out of the way right (laughs) just go (laughs) You know, and then it was like he jumps his arms like it's like just throw it, you know. So mm-hmm. get out of there. Whereas Fave, much rather shoot the little floater, you know. Mm-hmm. He's got the touch and everything like that. He's not a lob guy, so he doesn't need to get there, right? And, you know, Stephen Adams, just stand there, please. He's a wall. He's not a lob threat, right? He's got a little touch in there as well. Pocket pass touch. Those guys are a little bit different. Than Jax. Now, I will say that to that point, Jax needs to make contact and set a screen, set it. Like, you know, because there is a way, like Tim Duncan didn't set screens. He went and pushed you. He just goes push it. You know, like, so there are different guys like Jason Smith used to. Okay, Jason Smith is a perfect example of a guy we had early in my years mm-hmm. in New Orleans who was really good at that, where he would run up and just touch it quick and get out quick. And that little jolt was enough to get you to do this and you could go, right? So again, it's teaching. There's a way to do it. And there's a way to, uh, I know Jax is in there with the staff. He was in there with us. I know Jax got with us outside of myself and Coach Bizdelic to work on his defensive positioning, especially in pick and roll, because he had no clue of the concept, no idea. And guys, and again, where would he have gotten it? 100%. And it, the game is too fast. That's the thing. The game has to slow down for Jackson. The game has to slow down for Nikhil as well. When it does, they both will be effective. I, I If they stick with it and keep working the way they do, that's just part of this. You know, that's part of the young deal. The game is still slowing down for Zion. Imagine that, right? He's just one of those guys that has a little bit more feel for it than others. That's fine. That's why he's number one pick. That's why he's on ESPN all the time. It's why, you know, um, the noise and the hype and everything. It's going to slow down for him as well. I heard Bradley Beal talking about that the other day. It's like now, you know. I'm sure that Tom Brady, Drew Brees, the game is so slow to them. It's just like, eh, whatever. And I think that's a big part of it, trying to do too much too fast. Buddy was the same way. Buddy wanted to be at this point now, a thousand threes now. <laughs> We're going to buy all-star break. <laughs> we got trapped. And it's like, no, and he's grown up. Talking to him is really cool to see, you know, he's, got his daughter and everything and really has matured as a player. And you can see the game has slowed down for him. He's not running all over the place. Like he used to just hunting shots, like kids at the boys and girls club. That's how he played before. Cause he just wanted it. Now, you know, he got a rebound last night and handed it to De'Aaron Fox, jogged down court, boom, came right off the screen, let it go, you know, with pace, his own individual pace, you know? And so, his IQ for how he has success has gotten better, right? Um, 
So it, it's a process for everybody. Some are slower than others, like anything else in life, right? Anything else and how you're able to reach them and give them something IQ wise to help them. I think it'd be beneficial for Lonzo to really just deep dive into stuff, get off it, get it back. And when you get it back, go do what you go do, go, go make the play, trust your instincts and go make the play. The pound pound stuff. It, it hasn't worked at a high level really for anybody. I don't, I don't think really at all for anybody, but um, you know, there's, there's, there's just different things, but IQ is one of those things, knowing the game, what the game actually is about. And they think they do, you know, they'll all tell you and some do like Booker has a high IQ, Chris Paul, that backcourt cerebrally is, is unbelievable. I mean, Chris has no legs. Like if people knew how bad his legs are, but his mind is still faster than anybody else's. Hundred percent. He can. He completely dominates games. Not control. He dominates them with pace, um, with his ability to defer. One game, I believe they're playing sack. Could be wrong on that. Um, Cam Johnson missed a shot. Head went down. Chris lost it next three times, had it right back, right back to him game within the game. When you get to that level, you know, it's, it's very, very different, you know, but it it takes special teaching, special attention for that. Do you see, you know, we don't ask any other league to do this with the, with young players in baseball, it's an extreme rarity for a guy to go straight from high school to the, to the majors, even it's still rare for guys to spend three years of college baseball to go straight to the majors in, you wouldn't see it in hockey. You wouldn't see it in, in football. The G league is starting to get more investment into it. You're starting to see group, uh, leagues like the PCL with David West and, and um, Ricky Volante and what they're starting there, which I think is a fantastic thing. Yeah. Um, but like the, the level of coaching needs to improve. The options need to improve for young players. And I think we need to start treating them like we treat. And I think part of it again is, is race, but we need to start treating young basketball players like professionals in any other situation. Actors, we we're fine with putting a 10 year old on TV and letting them act and, and go to rehearsals and all those things. We were fine with tennis players at 13 going pro. We're fine with with uh, 16 year old professional golfers, but we won't let our soccer play. I mean, we won't let our NBA talent in this country start developing and practicing in a real way and getting an education on how to be what it is that they want. Set them up for the thing that they can be and have a greater rate of success. I, I, I don't understand why the leagues have not embraced that more because the owners are ultimately, like you said, the ones who, who don't benefit because you're investing these millions in at, a, at 19. Well, by the time they're 24, they may have decided to go somewhere else. You didn't even get the best years of their career. You got the worst years of their career ultimately. And you overpaid for those years because you were trying to teach them with no time to do so. Yeah, that that's a great um that's a great point. I never understood the the one year rule because you're not getting anything out of a, a one year college situation. I mean, you play a few games, sure, but you're not like 
and truthfully, you're creating bad habits. I would much rather you be able to get drafted and then the team pay for your college and send a coach from the team down there with you to shadow you or something like that. And, you know, work on this. We need this. We'll see you do this. You know, similar to what we do stashing players. We do it overseas. Yes. We sent Didi overseas to Australia. What's the difference? Right. Like, I think baseball has that where they'll like pay for if you want to stay in school, but you have to go three years or something, something like that. I think it's an unbelievable rule. Like it's great. Kid can get an education if, you know, if that's hopefully that's part of what he wants to do, but the development side of things for the career, the longevity of the career. And then you get a guy who's semi been groomed. He's with a college program, but he's had an MBA or an organizational ear so that he understands what he's walking into because it, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a beast up here for these guys. Cause I mean, you know, college coaches I, in general are not conditioned to prepare you for the NBA. There's a reason we, you, we talk about Syracuse, all the talented players who came through Syracuse over the years who didn't make it in the NBA because that zone that they were taught, because they didn't learn on offense how to play off the ball. And, and there's a reason why Syracuse didn't win a national championship until Melo came along. Because you just had to have this most superior talent at that point where it couldn't be denied. But I think that, you know, programs, why would a cop, that's not his job. John Calipari says, well, my job is to prepare guys for the NBA. But even you look at his guys, how many of the guys that went up like a Daniel Orton, remember he got drafted mm-hmm. in the first round and we don't know what happened to Daniel Orton now. I don't know where he is. There's right. a number of those guys for every boogie and AD and John Wall. There's a bunch of those guys who came out of Kentucky, like the Harrison brothers and all these things who don't make it because you cannot prepare 12 guys for the NBA at the same time. Right. Yeah. And this college is such a different game. Like I watch Gonzaga, they're like ducking in from the, uh, on both blocks. I'm like, I haven't seen a duck in in (laughs) years. Um, And they do it hard, man. That's a very well coached team. Like another one, Gonzaga's top three, top five every year. And the pros just, they don't really roll through there like that, you know, but they're very historic, respected college program that is very well coached. Mark Fuse has done a great job and watching his teams play is really a joy to watch. Right. And so, you know, the game there, the, the floor is smaller, is shrunk. You know, there's, there's not much space. Uh, the pick and roll game, you're going to like guys are going to see one option. You don't see guys kind of probing and, you know, it's movement. It's just passing. But the, the one guy that gets to the team, that's supposedly the guy, you know, the Dukes of the world, Kentucky has had, I don't know how many of them. Um, that, that game is very different. And so you're right that them preparing them. And I don't really think they care much about preparing them for the NBA. There are, have been guys like Billy Donovan has had guys, which I think is why he's been a good NBA coach. When he was at Florida, he had a a slew of guys that came through there and they were like 
really good pros. Yeah. You know, and then still playing, you know, and that's, that's crazy to think about too. I mean, think of some of his teams, I think Villanova has produced some solid pros. There's mm-hmm. programs that have produced some decent pros. Um, obviously Carolina has legendary guys. Coach K has pr- produced really good pros, but I don't think their goal when they're recruiting the guy is I'm going to help you when you go to, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves in this case now, or whoever that's not, it's, I need you here now to get the blue double banner there. And then whatever happens after that, you, you know, good luck to you. (laughs) Yeah. Like one of those, you know, I'll be here if you need a phone call, but you know, I can't help you. Or they're trying to convince a kid who's ready to go to stay because they. Yeah. Like, you know, I need you still. Right. That's, you know, it's different. Then there's guys like Quinn Cook was, had a lot of success in at Duke. They wanted, and now he's gone to the league through the G league and all this stuff. And he gets on, he keeps being on good rosters because people value him in his day to day and his every day. That's another role in and of itself. He works. He works. I mean, nice guy, keeps his mouth shut, laughing, play a few video games. He knows all the handshakes, you know, that's probably his role in some capacity. And just an unreal guy. I love Quinn to death. I, I hate that. Um, they had to make a move there with him, but I'm not worried about him because he's going to come right back and somebody's going to pick him up and he's going to do the same thing and be the same good guy and the same worker there as well. And he has multiple rings now. And there's, there's a reason why he's able to be in those situations. Um, but it, it's college yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a completely different game. I, and then there's undersized guys. I mean, there's guys six, five centers. And so I think that's why we've seen the shift in the NBA, right? Now we've got guys playing, like you said, BI is playing four. How? If he was playing in the 90s or the, even the early 2000s, he would be guarding David West and he'd get broken in half. Like it, it, it wouldn't happen. Like a different game. And it's that, and it, like I, I mean, a guy like James Worthy played power forward in the NBA, but James strong, right? He wasn't yeah, you know, he wasn't tall did, because there were men. There were men back then. They're they're grown men. It's a it's a it's a boys league now. Now, because guys went to school three and four years. You know, they had they full beard. I mean, it, you didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> you look at some of those guys, they look 58 years old and they were 31. Like it was different. Just Walt Frazier looked 30 when he entered the league. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like you see pictures of Clyde as a rookie, very, and you're like, like you, see those highlights. you see those highlights, and you're like, you know, you look guys looked 45 plus and they were 28. And now you see you got, you know, Zion doesn't have a mustache. You know, he's baby face out there. He got that Ronald, high school goatee. Yeah. Like a little bit of chin chin hair. Trying to be the guy, you know, along with B.I., who's still like, only a couple years in and 21, 22. 
taking over, making an, a, a lot of money, a whole lot of money. That's a lot on them. It really is. And that's across the league. It's not just those guys. It is across the league. And those guys are trying to figure it out like the rest of them, just like any other person, tech people. These Some of these tech kids are selling websites that are two and $300 million. Then you get to the apps. You're looking at billions of dollars. It's the same. You just don't see them as much. But they've got a whole different... Uh, deal going. I heard something cool about the Snapchat guys that relates to this is they said they didn't want to sell it when they were offered $3 billion, I think, because the way they built it, they wanted to see it a certain way. And it would change with under the management of somebody else. It was a project they did for fun. They didn't want it to go a different way. And translating to uh, to the basketball side of things is like, okay, if I come in like a BI or someone like that, like these high level guys, these, these lottery picks and an organization, I know if I'm one of those guys, I'm going to get the dollar. I'm going to get them. I'm getting max. I, you, you know it, you know, those guys. Right. And so what are they doing? Like, is it for the love or is it for the money? Is it for the winning and the camaraderie with your teammates or the money? And the guys who stick and the guy like the Damian Lillards who continue to have success, it may not be a championship, but those guys are in there every year. Terry doesn't worry about they're in there every year. It's for the game. The same My, with that Memphis Grizzlies team. The, 100%. The- that team played because they love playing together. It was the game, and it was everybody, and you saw them together. Tony out, they, you know, grit and grind. Those were some fun days. I love that Zemo team. And I love guys. watching that team. Yeah, Gravis, way back. Vasquez, back then. San Antonio, those guys took pay cuts. Tom Brady takes pay cuts. Like, he should be making $100 million a year, but he isn't. I think he's like top, he's 14, 15 payroll, something like that. He was anyway, pay cuts because it's about the game, the camaraderie of the game. Just like those guys were about the app, the product, not the money, the dollar figure. And a lot of guys come in chasing the dollar figure first. Then by year seven or eight, they want to talk about winning. And the coaching staff for those first five, six, seven suffers. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, you should be doing more. You have this guy. Well, this guy isn't helping me because he doesn't care. He just needs the numbers to get the dollar, right? And so how do you reach that guy? Part of the job. How do I reach this guy coming in and get him to buy into me and understand that I'm trying to do something with him? I'm not using him for my own coaching record so I could catch Don Nelson. No, I need, I need you to understand this so we can get this group where it needs to be, help this organization get to where it needs to be, make it easier on the ticket salespeople to sell us so we can get this city in the stands because they want to watch something that they can be proud of and get behind and relate to, right? All of those things 
you know, comes as an afterthought to most. But the ones who were avid at the forefront, you see it time and time again. Spurs, Miami. This is the same. We talk about the same. Like, we talk about the same teams all the time for a reason. Because I think they operate the opposite way, and I think they get the guys that operate in those same ways. I mean, and that's something we were taught. Most of us were taught by our parents really young. Unfortunately, it's not. I don't know if it's taught as much, but my parents always told me if you chase money, you'll never be happy. Because if, if you're not happy without it, you won't be happy with it. Right. And you know, you chase, you do what you love, and that's what we were. I'm sure your your pops told you the same thing. Do what you love, and and, and the money, the rewards will follow. If yeah. you if you work at being great at what you do. The rest of it will come for sure. Like that is different for him, you know, like, yes, he, he made, he made a lot of, he made more money but when playing. He didn't make that much. Oh no, no, no. But you know what I mean? Just that. Yeah, no, I'm saying it wasn't, but I think it's a little bit like it wasn't guaranteed. No. So he had to figure, he had to go make the team. When yeah. He had to, <laughs> right. It was different rules back then. Right. And so, and then he was never, like this overly, it was always Tom Chambers, Dale Ellis, Xavier McDaniel, you know, those GP, type guys. Then you then you, the later guys, the Sean Kemp's, Sam Perkett, like, like he was bit left. Yeah, all those guys. Like he wasn't the Gary Payton part. The money's just gonna come. That guy's gonna get the dollar. Even more like the Quinn Cook type that had to figure it out and it was able to make it stick and keep everybody together. Um, and that just came through Bernie Bickerstaff coaching him really hard. And then a direct relationship, George Carl, you know, really helped him in that way. And he embraced that side of things and, and the organization treated him very well, but um, money, money's tricky. It really is. And, you know, like there's so, I think social media, has ruined a lot of uh, a lot of people, but it breaks a lot of these guys trying to keep up with a certain image that, for whatever reason, gets you some random pointless click called a like. Like nobody likes you; they don't actually like you. The second you go out there and you score twelve points, see how much they like you, right? Those likes are a facade, but you're they like your lifestyle. That's what yeah. they like. They, they, yeah, they, you are just a faceless individual who is a fill in for what they yeah. want to be. Yeah. They, they, they try to keep up with that stuff and money allows you to create the next picture, I guess that helps um, with society or whatever. And so a lot of guys are caught up into that as well. You know, it's everywhere. It's toxic. It really is not just for basketball players in life in general. Social media is awful. That's why I don't do much of it, but they, you know, it is, it, it's, it's hard when you're, you're just giving guys so much money and that's the only goal. That's all they see. And some, some of them have come from nothing. That's easy for me to say. I don't have that. Fortunately, I didn't have to be a part of that. That's not my background. Um, by any means, but I do respect it. And I do respect the guys for sure who are about the work and, and go about it the right way. Um, and I, but I do understand the other side of it, you know, like I'm just so, trying to go get it. That's, that's, 
you know, I get it. I, I understand that. It's hard to deal with as far as a team aspect of things, but I'm not immune to the real. But, I mean, if there's a level of communication, then it's like, okay, right. you can get this money, but I'm going to show you how to get it longer right. and how to get it, right. like, get more of it. If you want this money for real, right. you can't just be this guy for the next 10 years. Right. And, and I think that, you know, a, a lot of players don't think, they think that, that longevity is, take, they take it for granted. And mm-hmm. we know careers, this, if you get three, if you get three seasons, hey, that's, that's, a, that's a long time. 100%. And, and I think guys don't think enough about that because you are younger. And I mm-hmm. think that's the innate part of being 18, 19, 20, because the future to you is endless. Right. There is no period at the end of the sentence. And you don't have, without that perspective in life of understanding that nothing lasts forever and it can be taken away just like that, whether it's injury or just the wrong team or whatever, and it's gone, that flow of money is going to stop and you're 22 years old and it's not going to last you the next 60 years, right. bro. So, like there's a yeah there i mean there's guys that yeah this is a good point but i think they look to the lebron nash did it duncan did it those guys played till they were like what 40 lebron's at 36 he'll play they think they're gonna last till 36 because you know they that's what they see the majority of these guys are done by 30 you know like and they ain't doing the work that lebron does for his body either that's the difference that they don't even comprehend unless they see it. Like everybody, like you said, talking about Kobe and all, they all ain't Kobe. No, I haven't seen a guy yet, not one that's remotely close to what I saw in two weeks, two weeks at the Olympics with that guy. So it's, it's interesting to, to talk to these guys about it and, and get their perspective on it, how they see it or how, you know, I talked to Drew Holiday a lot about it. You know, he's a guy that I spent a lot of time with um, and who is one of the more tougher guys that we have in the league as far as playing through stuff, understand, trying to understand his body, has hired outside people um, to get him right, keep him right. You know, Mike G and Mike P, Mike G and Mike P, you know, those guys done a tremendous job, you know, getting Rod in the leg, keeping him healthy and keeping him on the basketball floor and everything. And all that he went through with his wife, his family's situation, just had a second kid and where his head is at, according to that, because Drew's a guy who isn't about money. His wife makes plenty of it. He's made plenty of it. He doesn't spend any. He's a very basic, basic individual. Um, and listening to him talk is very different, very, very different than the, than a lot of the other guys. Um, and so, you know, but Drew's a guy who had a real tough mom, real nice woman, tough mom, was an athlete at a high level, dad still dunking at 50, whatever he is. And then, and then two brothers who are just as competitive as he is. Those three are competitive. That's, that's a group that gets after it. Right. So the background's different and all these guys coming from all these different backgrounds. If you don't take the time to understand the human being in this thing, 
especially in today's game. As an NBA coach, you can forget about it. You get you got it. You got to know that that matters. Their background, their history, their family structure, their educational background, all that stuff is it, going to trans. It, it doesn't matter if you have the cutest ATOs in the world; they will not work um, unless you really understand and care about the individual, the story of the individual. And that's where I've tried to really get myself going, you know, and that I've realized that the stories of, of people and, and what they, what they're about, what they know, what they understand. Cause we're so quick to just say, Oh, he's an idiot. Oh, he can't remember this. Oh, he just doesn't get it. Oh, he did. All that stuff's easy to do. No, what's the story behind why that's a difficult concept for him to grasp? Why he values that over this? Why he can't see this or this? And so, you know, and teammates, LeBron knows those guys' story. That's why he's able to pick and choose who he ships in and out. <laughs> you know, like he, he knows. He knows what he, works with, who's going to work well with him. 100%. 100 and that brady same way antonio let's go living with me right like those guys they they get it at a higher level about the human being than the game not just the game anyway well, let me ask you this because I, I don't keep too much here i got just a couple more i want to get from you okay do you think as a black coach in this league and david fisdale said this um that you get pigeonholed in the role of communicator, understand the guys, but you won't get that same benefit of the doubt on the, the running the organizational part. And, and we just saw, you know, in Minnesota where we had Ryan Saunders get fired and, and there was some, and, and Chris Finch, who, you know, you know, um, getting promoted. And I'm not going to ask you to speak on Chris or anything like that, but the, where you had players who, who spoke up about it and, and, and other coaches who talked about the situation of having experienced black coaches on this, on the bench and not getting that opportunity, a guy like Steven Silas, who was on the sidelines for a very long time. And in the first job he gets is one of the most, messed up situations you could possibly enter into. It seems like that's usually the case that when, when you get that opportunity, there's a different expectation and a different perspective of how you are viewed by the fans, the media, and even organizations. That's just life, man. That's, that's America. Yeah. That's what we, that's what it is. So it's always going to be, I'm a guy who went to private school my whole life till college. And I, I, I dealt with all the stuff. It wasn't terrible because the Sonics were winning right. at the time when my dad was coaching there in Seattle. So it was very, and high school wasn't bad because we had a great big mix of people. Um, but I've heard that all this stuff from the beginning, you know, and seen it especially uh, like it's it's just where we are and I, I do i will say that here in some of these situations it wasn't racial per se it was relationship based 
management, like they are people who work with numbers. They're people who work in conference rooms, conference calls. They work on a schedule where they, you know, have deadlines and stuff like that. That is something where, you know, it's not, you don't see it often with us per se. Now I just moved to Atlanta and you do see it. Black city, a lot of big glass buildings, a lot of progression, a lot of major corporations here, a lot of headquarters here for some big time companies. And you see it with, with some of these, um, people around here. And and it's pretty cool to see situations that happen in this league are relationship based for the most part, you know, like if I'm, let's just say I'm a GM, like Dell Demps hired two black coaches, James Jones hired a black coach, you know, and Monty all relationship based. It wasn't that they hired them because they were black. Like I need a black guy here now. Like, no, that wasn't the case. We look at the situation up in Brooklyn. Everybody said Steve Nash, who's one of the best IQ minds that we have to play the game. Oh, he skipped steps or whatever. whatever. That, no, he was working with their best player. The last and, and, and we've seen that happen before. Doc skipped steps, if you want to say it. Doc skipped yeah, went from the right. point I mean, to the thing. Kerr went from never coaching to getting a job. Mark 100%. Jackson went from never coaching to getting a job. It's not 100%. unusual for stars to get to jump to the front of the line or people who have high profiles. 100%. I mean, T. Lou is the same thing in, in Cleveland, right? And so, you know, it's those guys were able to speak the language of what in today's game is the player, you know, like either the GM or the best player on the team, right? Somebody they believe in. I do know like Monty in Phoenix is somebody that represents what James Jones has been about being with LeBron in Cleveland, being in Miami with how they operate. I know that for a fact knowing Monty since high school and all the way up through the beginning of my career, unreal person to work for, you know, far as the man and allowing you to grow as an individual, as well as a professional and teaching you how to be a pro. That's important for a young group, which they have. And I think Sarver who's there, he aligns with him as well. That's what the guy was looking for and what type of guy Sarver is far as, you know, more of the disciplinarian, more of the guy who's structured and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so it fits and you see success. It was a great hire. Now, Minnesota is a situation where the guy knows another guy who has had some success. Like Finch has had success. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm not, it's not against Chris Finch. Right. I'm not but I'm just saying, I don't think like everybody was quick to jump and say that Vanderpool didn't get the job because he was black. And I, I don't agree. I don't think that was the case. Um, obviously Vanderpool's worked with Damian Lillard and been in Portland. Who's had success. Sure. But Ime Udoka is another guy who's been in San Antonio. Who's in Philly. Philly, like high level success, who 
is waiting on an opportunity and maybe waiting for the right decent opportunity. Who knows? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what that situation will be, but I'm just saying like a lot, sometimes we'll take the job as blacks just to get the opportunity, even though it doesn't make sense or it's a dumpster fire of a situation. Um, that that second call might not come. Yeah. yeah, So because some of these other guys aren't going to take it. And that's another point. Yeah, you're right. The problem is there's a lot of those jobs that are dumpster fire type. It's just rebuild or um, chaos with players, or it's been a rocky road between management and whatever, whatever the case may be. All these work, everybody has some, something. Um, But there was a period where we had a lot of black coaches a couple of years ago. We had a good, good amount of them. Um, and some of them have stuck. Some of them, not so much. There's been a lot of white ones that have stuck, but not so much. But the, the other part is, you know, like how many blacks want to coach? Like, do we see players? We're starting to see it now. Amari Stoudemire's in there up in Brooklyn and, like some of these former players are trying to get to that level. Are we doing the same in front offices? Do we have the scouts? Do we have the assistant GMs? Do we have the same amount of interest in that side of things? And access. Right. Putting numbers together, right? Uh, there's a really good one in New Orleans. Bryson Graham is going to be a GM. Damn, I, he's black. He's he's going to have a job sooner than later. He's only what thirty. Bryson's a year older than me, thirty three. Next few years, he'll I'm sure uh, because he's embraced that side of things. How many of blacks are embracing that side of things? So we can show that those conference calls, you know, go the same way. Scouting goes the same way. And then we can look out for each other if it makes sense and it's the right guy for the job. I've never been a fan of hiring people because of their color. I really, that's not my thing. If it's the right guy for the job, but do we have the guys in the front office trying really looking to get there, right? The James Jones, the Dell Demps, Dell is now coaching. You know, that's a resource that we have on Utah's bench who is first in the league. People who are first in the league get hired. You know, there's good teams who have those guys. And we had a lot of guys get interviews in this coaching search. Right. So it's a relationship building thing. It's a network building thing. And I think a lot of black coaches have done a good job of putting themselves in position to to get a look to get a conversation, but now, you know, are we able to get the trust factor in there with the, with the relationship part of things, right? There's a trust behind the Minnesota thing, you know, both numbers guys from Houston know each other, that sort of thing. It's no different than, you know, like in tech or anything you're going to call who you know to team up with some of these deals business so does deals. that impact it the fact that there are more of these gms who have never played who have looked at it from like you said make these decisions on this from the statistical standpoint mm-hmm. as gms 
And if you're a basketball lifer, if you're a player in most of these, like, and the, like you said, if you don't have a relationship with a, a Kevin Durant, if you don't have that relationship, it, it might've been harder for Steve Nash to come in off the, the block. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, without If you don't get 100%. Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant to sign off on that, it doesn't happen. So yeah. having these more analytical GMs, if I come in and I know how to talk basketball and I know how to talk player relationships, and that sounds like Chinese to you, but this other guy could come in and he's got all the folders and the binders in the world and shows how he's going to show you stats, 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 that, and that's what you can comprehend. Then that changes it too, because I think there is a part of analytics that is divisive in keeping certain people out of the game. And that it's, and so I think that that problem is something the league has to address too, is that analytics cannot be some, it's a tool, but it cannot be something that, that drives people out of the game. Right. But it's given non-sports, not even basketball, non-sports people a way to feel a part of a, a significant part and to the point where some of them are running these whole things. You know, they're running the whole deal. And it's, and it's actually some a lot of it's devalued coaching in a lot of areas. Right. Um, depending on who you talk to and stuff like that. In so, real team building. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it, you know, the basketball feel, the feel for a guy, a feel for, uh, you know, a situation where, you know, you see it all the time with, it's actually costing games. This year I've seen it cost teams games doing this number stuff on multiple occasions. Then you saw it the other day. Denver had a four on one, <laughs> a four on, and nobody and crosses the three point line. Nobody went. <laughs> it was unbelievable. But it, the the, tra- the numbers have trained that. I don't even think they realized they did it till afterwards, and everybody made a big deal. They didn't even realize that happened because those guys have been trained by those numbers to go to certain spots feel for the game like basketball feel <clears throat> you can't put analytics on a pickup game you can't do it but i i know i don't want to deal with him in a pickup game i don't want to deal with pat beverly in a pickup game it's going to be an altercation <laughs> like period like you know like it's it's certain things like that you know so again like our okay do we have the educational background or are we educating ourselves enough with the numbers and the analytics and the formulas and how these guys are coming up with this stuff to combat them in their decisions or to come to just actually pose a conversation. Okay. Well, what about this? Provide another perspective. How about this? The non-quantifiables right, about yeah. like pressure situation yeah. Like I've had conversations with guys that go, this guy only shoots 31% when the defender is this far away from him. Well, I'm like, well, the reason they got hot against this defense, it's not that they are a bad shooter. I'm a better shooter because I got a better look because your defense was bad. So you gave me a mediocre shooter. You gave me more time. You allowed me to get my feet set. You allowed me to shoot the ball. I'm comfortable. My percentage goes up. The reason you're a bad, the reason teams break records against you every night is not because they had a great night magically. 
It's because you allowed that because they were comfortable in what they were doing. So people outperform themselves when they are comfortable. Right. And there's nobody in the stands. So everything's open gym. Everything's open gym now. Like the guys are shooting shots. They would never have shot with people in the crowd. It's just, it's just open gym, right? For the, for a lot of this um, that we're seeing and guys, how many guys play defense in open gym? It's like that watching those summer workouts. There's yeah. always that one guy that <laughs> just like out there, you know, trying to prove whatever point. But that's my thing. My, my take on it is this is America. We have made progress. We're, we're not nearly where we, we should be or could be or, or want to be as a whole society. Um, and hopefully that gets better. It's, it's, um, we're taking steps and joining. We have been the Black Lives Matter parades and, and different protests and all that. It's done this. It's forced us to do this. And unfortunately, it took something so ridiculous to get this. Because if you get on the internet, it's the exact opposite. Like you can say that stuff all you want to, mm -hmm. but it doesn't represent that. Neither do reality TV. So you see it everywhere. Reality TV shows, what do you see? They're all on there yapping, saying crazy stuff. It's the same thing. And so until you do this, just like a team, the roster has to do, just like the coaching staff has to be on the same page, just like the fan base has to be behind the group to allow them to walk around the city comfortably and want to be there. It's a big part of it, right? When you start doing this in front offices, start doing this with front offices, we will see more success. Our time is coming. Our time is coming. Black coaches, black GMs, a lot, there's a lot of guys around the league. Black ownership. Of, I, think it's, of, I think there are going to be a lot of players post-career who march with their funds together and, and, and buy teams. Us, they're giving us the opportunity to do it, right? Like we just saw Renee Montgomery just bought the – Love it. Love yes. it. Yes. Big shout out to Renee Montgomery. And I love the WNBA for two yeah. reasons. There are two reasons I really love the WNBA. Number one is that those women are unafraid. Unafraid. Number two, there are so many – that's the last place I can look now for professional basketball where it's diverse styles of play. I can watch post play. I can watch perimeter oriented teams. I can watch different styles of basketball. And that to me makes that game so much, so very interesting. There's one factor that's different between that game and the NBA money. <laughs> there you go. Pounding it ain't going to get you much <laughs> in that. So you better enjoy who you're around. You, I mean, and the other part, like, you don't see the, the step backs and all that stuff. It just, they don't, that's not their thing. It's, oh, they got their, when you watch them, the amount that they celebrate in each other's success and they got the cheers and the like, they're high five and all that, it's different. Well, I coached women in yeah, high it's, school it's, it's and just, Different. It's so different. The but level the money, of support is so different. The money is not there. And that's, again, if you take the dollar factor out of it, just sheer bones love of the game. Because guys don't play that way in practice. 
really because they don't want to be there. <laughs> but they 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 don't play that way. It's different. But that that league has done a tremendous job, man. They they are unbelievable in everything they've done from the game recently putting themselves on the map humanity situations um they, they've done a phenomenal job and guys are backing them now that's the other part of it guys are backing them but that's a great point about the money and ownership these guys are giving you the money James Harden, LeBron, y'all are half billion dollar dudes, man. They, you got they they are going to have the means to do that, and I, there will be certain guys who do take that on. And I'm excited for the day that it comes because it will be sooner than later. And and I, again, our time is coming. I, I I do think there's a shift, there's a change. It's out there. the The message has been heard and received well. You know, in some cases, you have the, the idiots on the other side and people who are just, they are who they are, right? But it's not everybody. It's not everybody. They, they do value that. I haven't seen anything really that negative as far as the racial side of things. I haven't dealt with it or seen it directly next to me um, in this deal. And so we just got to keep going. We got to do more, not less. We've got to take the guy, grab him by the arm, and help him, bring him with you, and then ask him a question and try to get something from him that he can help you with. And then we do that, and we take that to the next. Okay, we got three guys here. Let's take – okay, Bryson, you're the GM. What do we got, right? And that's – we got to do that in the community. This isn't just basketball, man. This is, this is mm -hmm. everywhere, everywhere. Education's not just in a textbook. It really isn't. In fact, majority of the best education isn't in textbooks. No, life you is the, the greatest teacher. It is 100%. So we're right there. We're right there. And, um, you know, I'm sure Vanderpool, he's going to be, he's been around. He's going to be around. You know, he's, he's a guy who's been around. He, he's solidified in this thing. He knows, right? We got the Darvin Hams. We got the Ime Udokas. We got guys right there on the brink waiting, lying in wait. So, you know, we'll see this off season. We'll see next off season. Hey, guys. And you keep bubbling them up till they ain't got no choice either. Right. We're like <laughs> right there. But again, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to take a hard look at it and think about it. At it's least a guy like Jerry Stackhouse, yeah. too. So over there, you know, Stack could easily be back in in the NBA in a and short will. time. Another one. That's what I'm saying. There we're we're all over the place where we have the ability, we have qualifications that really fit the need in a lot of different areas. Mark Jackson's another name they keep throwing there. In, in I mean, I'd like to see Pat get his shot, but big men usually don't. But, you know, I think Paul Silas might have been the last big man to be a head coach. Yeah, yeah. it's I'm, – I'm, I'm excited. Jawan. Jawan Howard Jawan's is and what he's doing at Michigan. Job. Again, but a guy who in the Miami was with my dad in Portland – and was the same guy. He was the enforcer then, just like Miami. And now Michigan's rolling. Tremendous job done by him as well. People we forget, have how, people forget we how, have. how smart he is, too. Juwan yeah. is an extremely intelligent man. All right, I mean, he was some fun guy. stuff. Some fun stuff. Yeah, for sure. How many years is it before the Sonics come back to Seattle? 
You well, think it's sooner rather than later? If we fucking trade Russell Wilson like idiots, <laughs> that conversation, that, that one fires me. But um, if Russell stays where he's supposed to, I'd say in the next three years, three to four years. What would it mean to you to, for the, I mean, really, because your pops had his jersey retired by the Sox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Gary Payton and Sean Kemp's numbers are hanging in Oklahoma city and it just doesn't feel right. And none of that Gus Williams, Spencer Haywood, you know, all those, those players who came through there, Jack Sigma. I mean, you know, Freddie, Freddie Brown. It's just, there's so much legacy there. Yeah. How, how really, what would you feel like? What does it mean for that city to have, to have the Sonics back when that comes? It's something that crosses my mind almost daily. Like driving, something like that. I feel it. For whatever reason, I feel it coming back. And um, obviously, I owe pretty much everything to that organization um, and, and how they took care of Pops back through his 12 years as a player what was it his four or five years as a coach um that that one touches all kinds of nerves for me uh and and the people the jamal crawford's the brandon roy's um even the luke Rittenhours, spencer hawes who played in the league a little isaiah thomas you know all of us during those time those guys aren't there without them they really aren't for the players that took care of them um allowed them to work out. We'd be at the Sonics facility all the time, you know, and they were good, good players, you know, in, in the city. And I'll put that city's fan base up against anyone in the country. I don't care where you are, New York. I don't even care. The 12s. The I mean, Super you could hear it. Are for real. You could hear it at Key. Yeah. Um, and, and what was the one before Key? Where, where, I forget the name of the, the one before Key. They just had the Coliseum back yeah. then. When the, they room, to, the Coliseum was such a small building. They went to the Tacoma, they went to Tacoma while Key Arena, then they had the Key. Um, it, it's it's a real thing there for the spirit. The Mariners back in the Griffey days, it was it was a really cool place to be sports wise. Um, yeah, that that one that one that one's uh, touchy for for me. I need it. Let's just put it that way. I Dude, need it. As I a basketball like fan, I want it. Yeah, I think that that's. I think it's coming. Um, I think a lot of the people around the league value that market and that road trip. It's a lot better than a lot of the ones that we take during the season. Um, but like you said, you mentioned you went all the way back to Fred Brown, Slick Watts, Lenny Wilkins. Like, I mean, all the way through uh, John Johnson. You know, Mitch Johnson. His son, who's like a brother to me, is coaching with Pop. I'm out there, he's standing there with Pop in timeouts, you know, giving Pop advice. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Mitch. You know, it doesn't happen without him, you know, without that group. And we're still here. Seattle's still represented in the league very well. Um, across the board, we've had some guys move on recently that had very, very good careers like big time careers. And so um, 
you know, if it happens, when it happens, uh, hopefully sooner than later, it's going to be, it'll be one of the best things I think that I could be a part of um, far as seeing it come back to where I feel it belongs. Dude, it's, it's funny because I could talk Sonics with you so much because, I mean, like Vince asked you, um, I, 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 I did a post one time where I said when I was doing like random players who would make a ton of money right now. And I said, Derek McKee, 100%. Like, Derek McKee would be so rich right now. <laughs> 6'10", handle, could shoot it, could, you know, post up, defend multiple positions. I was like, that dude would have been so paid. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I still remember the the all-star game where Tom Chambers won MVP and they yeah. started, they fed him at the end. They were at the kingdom for the all-star game. I mean, it's like the Sonics. And I, I grew up a Knicks fan, you know what I mean? Because we didn't, you know, in New Orleans, we didn't have a team. Patrick mm-hmm. Ewing was the first star that I knew in college basketball. So he became right. a Nick. I was a Knicks fan. But as just a basketball junkie, there's no way I couldn't pay attention to what was going on in all these different markets. And one of the great interviews I ever had in my life was getting to talk to Spencer Haywood. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he, and you know, his daughter is in, in the business is, is, is in the business as a reporter. Um, but Spence, I mean, come on, like they're just legends who came through that market and teams that it was always successful. It was never a bad, really bad time for the Sonics until they were right before they were about to leave. And it right. just, that it there wasn't anything like it. There wasn't in the league. There were places like Phoenix at the time, um, Seattle. There were just certain markets where you're just like, this, those fan bases are different. Um, the, the connection with the city for right. basketball is a it, it was a legit basketball town, and 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 those are meaningful to me as as just somebody who loves the game. Yeah, it, it, it was a good time for sure. It was a great place to grow up. A uh, great time to grow up there. It's phenomenal to be a part of um, as more than just a fan, you know, and, and, and be able to spend time with a lot of those guys and, uh, and see it early at a high level, high, high level. You know, those guys were rolling there for a while and, you know, MJ stole one from us. If, <laughs> if they had put GP on Jordan from game one, yes. Sean uh, Kemp was the best player in that series. Yeah. Sean Kip was the best player in that series. You put GP on Jordan from game one, it's a whole different story, I think. Mm, but we don't, we don't have to do that. We don't have <laughs> to do that. I don't want to put you through that. Yeah. But, yeah. And then I'm, I know, and we could be just like Frank Brakowski and that damn contract and, it, <laughs> and ruining that whole thing. And then <laughs> it just. Frank, Frank, was a, Frank was a beat. He was the enforcer. He's the, there are no Franks today. There, are, there aren't. I mean, Montrez is about as close as it gets, but not really. There, I don't see any Franks today. Um, we still see them. him when we go to Portland, though. It's great to see the guy uh, these days, and he's just walking around chilling with the, still working for the league, still connected with to the league and everything. Uh, just an awesome group of guys. Uh, Jim McIlvain was the one that really messed everything up when he got. He was making almost ten million more than Sean. I'm like, what the hell are we doing? That one one went sideways quick. Real quick. (laughs) All right, last one. How the hell do you finish your college career shooting less than 60% for the free throw line? Because I didn't – I was injured. (laughs) I didn't play. It was was on low attempts. I only shot 21 free throws. 
I didn't look at the number of attempts. Now, you're a great, very good three-point shooter. Yes, yeah. 37% I, I, for the career. I only shot – 23 free throws, something like that. 21, 23 free throws, something, something like that. I didn't shoot that many free throws. And right. my first couple of years is because playing with James. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You did. You, you were what you were like the first couple of years, you were under 20 minutes. The last couple of years, you were near 30 every night. Yeah. But the thing was like that Princeton offense, you know, it was just so it's much. It's not a lot of drive. It, yeah. It was just catch and shoot or you moved it cutting a lot of cutting that's why all this stuff really bothers me when guys just can't do it <laughs> because it was everything like the first month we didn't touch we didn't have a ball we practiced without a ball you just ran through sets cutting and Princeton offense which all flowed together and it was like the most genius thing I had seen um as far as everything that could go out of it and what the wizards used to do it a lot as far as the league with Eddie Jordan and those guys. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, Zach did it for a good yeah, number. And of I years. was, yeah. And coach Sindek, you know, it was point guard there. You know, we had Jeff Pendergraf, who's now Jeff Ayers, um, Ty Abbott, who was a lights out shooter, Riard Kupsik's lights out shooter. Um, so, yeah, but I, I, like I said, I tore my groin twice <laughs> and then I tore my plantar fasciitis in my right foot playing organ. Um, and I was just shooting up on the meds and going back out and playing like an idiot, whereas I still have issues with both of those today. So um, that's how that goes. But, you know, they finally forced me to sit down during that year. And uh, that's what it is. But it was very low attempts. But defensively man i got i had to give i had to give you props because you top 10 and defensive you know finish top 10 to top 20 every year in the pack uh pack 12 man you would assist the turnover ratio was top in the league that that's year, right yeah so you that can handle the rock you shot it again, good from deep my, know thyself that's i was right. never i was never a good buckets guy i the only way i could make it was to lock somebody up which is what i enjoyed doing um and distribute which is what my dad did. You know, that was the, that was the position at the time. And that's not very different than what it is today. I, I wouldn't have had a shot today or my game would have been different. I would have worked differently. Yeah. You, you, this, yeah, you would have been taught differently. You, mm-hmm. you work differently. And that's what the guys today are working differently than before because the, the game has just changed. The position has have changed. So I'm, I'm good with where I was. Basketball has put me in front of so many great people, man. So uh, around such as yourself, I get to do stuff like this. It's treated me very well, and I'm. Man, I, I really appreciate well. that. I really appreciate. It. I, I was. I'm glad we struck up a, a relationship while you were um, still with the Pels. Yeah, um, sure. Just, just conversing with you before games and getting insight, but also just you've been real with me. You've yeah. been real with me, and and, and I appreciate that, and and. Absolutely. You've helped me get better at this um, because I think you understand that I, I want to learn more. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, I think I, I always felt like I came in with a solid base, but just being around the coaches and I've always wanted to talk to the coaches whenever I get the opportunity. And I think my questions have mm-hmm. always been basketball related. Yeah, sure. um, so I appreciate the fact that you've always given me your time. Um, and, and never treated me as if I was trying to get something from you um, and that it was it was a give and a take. Anytime. You, anybody, you and your crew have been awesome the last few years. I appreciate you guys, man. The, the Bird Rights guys and 
everybody pregame, you know, we in the business need that release from everything that we do, the film and all that stuff, just to touch a human being that's, you know, from the outside looking in or just trying to understand or really just fair. I think you guys are fair. I can't say that for a majority of people, right. Um, that, that are in the media and business and everything. And so those, those were valued times. Um, and, and my time there, everybody treated me well. I love the fans and, and their interaction as well. That gets entertaining and stuff like that. Um, anytime I can help one person, it doesn't, I don't need a bunch of money and a bunch of big, huge followers. I don't do social media, but the little that I do very rarely on occasion, it's very cool. It's a, it's a release point just to, you know, see We're talking game else. though. Yeah. I mean, like you it's know. something else. It's, it's, it's different. And um, you guys have been awesome. You, you really have. I appreciate you inviting me on here. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be around. I'll see you soon. Anybody who wants to talk ball, man, I'm always around and, and uh, to talk or to even help in any way that I can, even if it's not in your professional life, if something's going on, you know, a lot of the same messages, issues, you know, coming in as a rookie is no different than starting at the new job as the new person. Dealing with a manager is no different than dealing with a GM, right? Deadlines, whereas projects, um, projections, that's analytics for us. You know, it all translates different ways, but I think the dynamics and the principles are the same. You give everybody your 80% of value that you bet on yourself. You bank on yourself, right? The other 20% you can try. Sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not, but move on, move on from it and get back to your 80% that you know and that everybody else around you knows is not only going to help them or try to inspire them or lift them up, but also that they can bet on that you know you're going to do for yourself. And that's what they can get from you on a day-to-day basis. And so, you know, whatever you're about in that capacity, go for it. You know, let everybody know but make sure you're bringing the next person with you and the next person. And then we'll see what we got at the end. And that's my thing. That's my deal. And I look forward to seeing what you got going next. And, and, and you and I will be in touch yeah, um, sure. and both Absolutely. on and offline. And um, I just appreciate you. Um, and, and, and thank you again for coming on. Hey, no problem, man. Go Pels. All right. So for, uh, Jamel McMillan, I am David Grubb, and this has been another edition of Hard in the Paint. I'll be back with y'all again tomorrow. All right, till the next time, peace.